All right, I'm going to read today's scripture. <clears throat> We're out of Acts 10, uh, 1 through 8. <clears throat> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as an Italian regiment. <clears throat> he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Bruce. So we're in this series on Acts, and Acts is about the early church. It's about what happened right after Jesus went up to heaven, and now he wanted uh, his purposes to be lived out through his people, a, com a, a community of people that was committed to each other and that sort of expanded so that in the flesh, by his spirit, his purposes would be lived out. And he says in, right before he ascends to heaven in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses, that, well, the, wait, wait for this, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Last summer, we took on the beginning book, beginning chapters of the book of Acts, and that was mainly focused on Jerusalem and Judea. How did God, God's people, the people that believed in Jesus and followed Jesus, start living out Jesus' ways in Jerusalem and Judea? Stories about that. Now, a few weeks ago, we started where it went beyond that and went to Samaria. How did it go to Samaria, which are people who kind of know and are kind of Jewish, but are kind of not? And now here, this story that we're going to talk about, it's, there's going to be four scenes to this story that we're going to talk about the next four weeks, is really, really pivotal. It is where we go from uh, God mainly communicating and connecting through the Jewish people and, and people feeling like they need to become Jewish to be truly connected to God to now it's open to everyone and you don't have to become Jewish. So early, early on after Jesus ascended to heaven, the people that say, yeah, we follow Jesus, we're giving our life to Jesus, they were still living out the Jewish ways. They were still living out the Jewish customs, the Jewish traditions, because that's what, what was known to them. But now we get this man, Cornelius, who is not Jewish at all. He does not practice Judaism. Some people who weren't Jewish by you know, race, ethnicity, would act, still convert to Judaism and take on those ways. Cornelius didn't do that, and yet he, he feared God. He believed in God. So that is the story. It's going to go from, okay, how does it happen where Peter, Jesus, you know, kind of head apostle, head person, he and Cornelius get together. So first scene is about Cornelius. Second scene is about Peter. And the third scene, you bring them together. And then the fourth scene is, now is it just going to be Peter or is, or is the church going to accept that you don't have to be Jewish? That's where this is going. So, so these first eight verses that Bruce just read, 
they, they are kind of a setup. They're kind of like a just getting us to the place where we get to the main deal. And yet, I think that there is something in here that we can really grab onto and take away today. So I want us to look at verse, verse 2. Because let me just, first let me just say, just to review what, we, what Bruce just read. The story is Cornelius, a centurion, like a captain, like in charge of 100 soldiers in the Roman army, He's stationed in Caesarea. He's a God-fearer. He, he prays, and we'll get to that part. But he has a visitation, an angelic a vision. It's, a, it's the angel of the Lord who is saying to him, like, you need to go find this man named Simon, also called the Rock. He's with another Simon, the Tanner, lives by the sea, sends some people to him. And it's just like, we're just ready to go, like, okay, so he talks to those guys, and he's going to send them, and then what? But I want us to pause on two verses today. Verse 2. If we can bring up verse 2, Adam. This is what it says in chapter 10. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. This is Cornelius, the centurion, the Roman soldier, in charge of a lot of people. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So if you were a Roman soldier at the time, I've, I've, I have sort of an interest in the history of just Rome and the history of Greece, and so I've read about it from a perspective that's completely non-Christian, if you were a Roman soldier at this time, you are most likely an idol worshiper. You believe in many gods. You, you believe in the gods that will help you most. The, the way you worship gods has, has a, a lot of pleasure to it. There's a way in which your, your gods are about, how can I have these gods to help me beat other people up, help me beat other gods? There was, there was idol worshiping. There was not a, here is one god who we need to be okay with. And the virtues of the Roman Empire were very different, especially when you talk about how they treated with women, how they treated women, how they talked about family, what they talked about slaves, what they thought about how you should help people or you don't really have to help people. It's all very different than what we have in our Old Testament in the Jewish Bible and what it would mean to fear God. But for whatever reason, Cornelius feared one God. He feared the God, the creator God, and he wanted to live out his ways. And so he gave generously to those in need. That was not common. The only way you gave out to people back in the Roman Empire if you, if you had money was if you expected something in return. There was a system. You had, to, you had to get something in return from the people you were going to give money to. Otherwise, it just wasn't worth it. But he gave generously to those that had need, not expecting things in return, and he prayed to God regularly. And there's a hint about this, because what would follow in verse 3 is that this vision came at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The last time we saw 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the book of Acts is when Peter and John were going up to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the time of prayer, the time when the people of God, the one of two times per day, that the people of God gathered to worship and pray. Twice a day, every day, that's what they did. So 3 o'clock. So he would probably, what this is implying, is that he and his household would pray, would gather together to pray to God twice a day, <clears throat> communally. They might pray to God more than that, but sort of corporately twice a day. Now, verse 4, the angel comes, there's a vision, and here's what the angel says to him in verse 4. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. A memorial offering before God. What does that mean? God saw every single prayer. Every single time you gather together to pray, 
those things came up. Every single time you decided to pray on your own, those things came up. He was paying attention. He remembered them. He remembered every single prayer, and he remembered all the gifts to the poor, all the gifts to those of need, all the generosity, all the times you gave money that you could be spending on yourself, but you gave it away. God saw it all. Part of what it means to be a God-fearing person, to have the fear of the Lord, is to believe God sees it all. God sees it all, and that's what matters most. That's what it means to live in fear of the Lord. What God thinks is the most important. That's the most important thing in life. And he sees it all. And he points out here, he sees all these gifts that were given, all these prayers that were prayed. Now, with these two verses, here's a point I'd like to make today. It really matters to God if we pray regularly and if we give to those in need. That really matters. I'm not taking that, you know, from these two verses, I'm basing the whole sermon on these two verses. I'm saying that these two verses reinforce what we find in the entire Bible. God cares a lot about if we pray regularly and if we give to the poor, if we help those in need. It matters a lot to him. And I'm just going to go back to one other section of the Bible that might reinforce that. These are Jesus' words. Jesus' words when he is giving a sermon, when he's giving a message to his people about here's life in the kingdom, here's what life is to look like, here are important things to remember, he has this little section. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Be careful, this is Jesus talking, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, he is going to go on to, to make the main point. is going to be like, don't be motivated to do these righteous things, these good things, so that you'll impress other people. If that's your motivation, then you might impress other people, but that's all you're getting. Then if that's really what, you, what matters to you is that you look good, you look like a spiritual person, other people are going to say good things about you. If that's what's motivating you, then that's your reward. But if your motivation is you want to live right before God, you want to offer things to God, offerings to God, then that would be different. So, rightly, what this says is let's be careful about when we give we're not trying to show off or we don't need everybody to know how much we gave or the things we did. Or when we pray, we aren't trying to sound super spiritual and make sure people know we pray a lot or anything. That's the main thrust of what Jesus is talking about. But there is something implied here that I think is important. So go on to verse. He talks about three acts of righteousness or three things that you do. One is to give to the needy. Two is to pray. And three is to fast. We'll leave fasting alone today because the first two match what the angel Lord says. God saw you, Cornelius. He saw that you pray regularly. He saw that you give gifts to the board, that you help those in need. He saw all of that. And so he is responding with favor. Now, how does that idea match what Jesus says? Look in verse um, 3 and 4. This is Jesus' words. But when you give to the needy, so first he says, if you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, don't show off, don't make sure everyone knows that you gave. Verse 3, but when, not if, 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus says, you should give to the needy. If you are connecting with him, if you are aligning with him, you are going to give to the needy. You are going to help those who are poor. You're going to do that. So when you do that, just make sure you aren't doing it with the motivation of like, I hope this impresses people. But instead, do it in a way that you just do it for God and leave it alone. And then you know what? God will reward you. He sees it. Just like he saw every gift to the needy that Cornelius made, he will see every gift, every gesture, every act of generosity. He will see it for you, and he wants to reward you. He wants to reward you. Some of that reward will come in this life. Some of that reward is getting stored up for, for, for later, for eternity. That's, that's in here. So when you give to the needy, know this. God is pleased with that and will reward you. Going on. When he's talking about praying, when you pray, don't say long prayers, loud prayers. Don't pray like me. You know, pray, pray. It go, he says, go to his secret room, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same thing. Not if you pray. When you pray. When you pray. Now, Clearly, it is okay to pray with people. Acts, you see very little. We're going to see one of the few times next week where someone is just praying on their own in secret. Probably because if you're praying on your own in secret, it's, you don't have someone else recording it. But what you see over and over again in Acts is there's a time of prayer, there's a place of prayer, there's people coming together in prayer. When you come together in prayer, it's often accompanied by either worship or the word. But it is this idea of connecting with God. When you do that, God will see it every time. You may think nothing's happening. Cornelius may have prayed prayers. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. Maybe they had specific things they were praying about. Nothing. And then all of a sudden an angel shows up. And an angel shows up and what the angel says is, I've seen your prayers. I've seen your gifts to the poor. And guess what? You need to go to a, a person. And here's the deal. What, what Cornelius is going to get isn't anything he asked for, isn't anything he ever saw coming. He didn't realize he was missing out by not knowing the living Jesus. He didn't know that there was something called the Holy Spirit that was going to come on him and fill him, and he was going to have joy and life like he never had before. He wasn't asking for those things. He didn't even know about those things. But what he did know is praying to God matters. It's important enough to orient my schedule around it. It's important enough that my whole household will be part of it. It's that important. It may look like a waste of time to my other Roman soldiers who think, what are you doing? How come you give this money away? How come you, you pray like this? It's a big waste of time, but it's not a waste of time to God. God sees it all. It's offerings up to God that he sees it all and he will reward it all. That is the message that is still true for us. Our prayers on a regular basis, he will see them all. He will hear them all. He will respond to them all. They may be storing up for something completely different than what we're actually asking for or praying for. 
they may be reimbursed to us in a completely different way than what we gave out. But the promise is, he sees it all. And of the many things that it's good to do for our relationship with God, for living out his purposes, here are two that are top of the list, at least equally tied with anything else. You say, pray, help those in need. Both. So, the question is, will we do these two things? Are we doing them? Are we doing them regularly? Will we do them? That's the question. And what I, how I'd like to frame this up a little bit is I want to give some concrete ways that this can be incorporated into our lives. So it is good for us. I have, you know, last week I told some stories about answered prayer. This week I had multiple, a couple really um, significant People tell some significant stories to me about specific answers to prayer. And they are not my stories to share yet, although um, at least one person wants to, is going to have a time when this gets shared. They're not mine to share yet, but there is something about, I don't understand it, when we pray, when we pray, there's just like more grace. There's more response. I don't get it. It's not a formula, but it, it happens. When we pray together, when there is a community of prayer, when there is two or more who are coming to agreement of prayer, there's even like typically more grace released. I don't understand that because if I pray by myself, it's still powerful, it's still effective, but there's something different about being part of a group that prays. Just like if you fast and pray, there's just something a little extra on it. I don't understand why, but that's what's true. That's what the Bible says is true. That Jesus says there's going to be reward for these things. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. He says these things. So, let me give concrete things. If you can give the first, first uh, one, Adam. Wednesday nights, upper room, 7 p.m. This is a way to pray that some people find helpful. Not everybody, but some people find helpful. Where there is worship going on, so you can worship with the live, usually live worship that's happening, or you can just have that be background noise as you pray, read the Bible, reflect on your own. For some people, this is a really effective way to draw near to Jesus. The goal of our, our Wednesday nights in, in the upper room up those stairs there, the goal of that is that there's intimacy and intercession. That there is a way in which we draw near to God. That's the intimacy. We draw near to God, he draws near to us. That's the promise. I think that's what a lot of people would report they experience when they do that. But we also pray for people. We pray out. There's a microphone up there almost every week if at any point, and, and usually somebody might get up and read a scripture or say a prayer. So there's a way in which it's open to, to us doing it together. Or you might just sit and pray. But it is something we have committed to doing every week because we leak, because we can't always be here on Sunday, because there's a way in which the Lord deserves, the Lord's worthy of a group of people this size offering worship more than just on Sunday mornings once a week. Maybe even every day 
So we're trying to get one time midweek that's another opportunity. That is a way that you can pray regularly. Maybe once a month. Anyway, that's that. And this week, Thursday, is Ascension Day. So Ascension Day is when we celebrate Jesus ascending to heaven at the right hand of God. Our God reigns. It's been established. He is coming back, and it is happening. And because of that, the Spirit gets poured out. That's Pentecost, which is two weeks from today. Now, in our, for whatever reason, we say Christmas. Everybody knows Christmas. Jesus is born. Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. We believe in God, so we celebrate Christmas. Actually, a bunch of people who don't believe in God or don't follow Jesus, they celebrate Christmas. There is not much, if anything more, about Christmas in here than there is about Ascension Day. And if all we have is Christmas but no Ascension Day, we, have, we are powerless as we live here now. We have a lot less to celebrate as we live here now. So for Ascension Day, we're going to have Ascension Eve upper room night. We're going to just worship and pray. That's what they did after Jesus ascended from heaven. They gathered continually for the next 10 days in prayer. Continually. So we're going to have, we're going to start there. And then the next thing is we're going to have a, I think it's probably about 27 hours of prayer, hopefully continuously in that room. We have not prayed in the prayer room for a while. It's been left dormant with COVID. We have not opened it back up. It's not even set up yet, so to speak, for, for people to. But by Wednesday night, You'll be able to come there. You can sign up for half-hour spots. You can do it right afterwards. Or there's going to be an email link that comes out otherwise tomorrow, and you can, you can sign up at some point. We're going to pray. Just so you know, and maybe some of you remember this. Probably I might be the only one who remembers this. But a year and a half ago, beginning of 2020, we had set out four goals for, as a church for the year. One of the goals is that we would have 100 hours of on-site prayer here at Celebrate Church. 100 hours every month, 100 hours. That would mean like out of the, at the time we're averaging 450 people attend worship service a week, or maybe more, a little more than that. You know, we've got six, seven, 800 people who consider celebrating their church. If 100 of those came for one hour, we would do that. Remember, the early church was just like multiple times a day, Everybody. We're just trying to take like a baby step. We're trying to take a baby step. And so the first month, January, 37 hours. The second month, 54 hours, 58 hours. March 1st through 13th, we were up to almost 50 hours. We were just about to get to 100 hours because there was just... What we did is just a few of us said, well, we're going to pray at least one or two hours a month. And we're going to ask one other person to do it. And then they asked one other person. And so we started to, we're just going to have prayer going on here. Because we think it makes a difference. Because we think it pleases God. And so we're on the way. So we are going to reinstitute that. So we're going to do our 24 hours of prayer. And then a week from today, we're going to have it so that you can sign up to pray at any point. 
um, that is open. We'll show when it's blocked off because maybe things are going on here. But otherwise, any point during the day hours into the evening hours, that room will be available for people to pray. That might not be for everybody. But there are two ways that you can pray. Can I just pray on my own? Can I just pray at home? Yes, please do. Hope you are already. But is there something different about setting aside and coming to a focused place of prayer? About having a time set aside where you come to pray? Is there something different about praying in that room? For a lot of people, there is. That's what they tell me. I remember somebody saying to me, like, every time I go in there, I start crying. It's weird. Like, I don't know why I start crying. But I do. It's a good crying. I have people saying, like, I've been, I was struggling, but then I just went to the prayer room and something. I mean, we had um, the, a person who's been part of a 24-7 prayer movement here. So they've been part of it for, they've prayed without stopping for over 20 years. Morning to midnight. It's unbelievable, this group of people. So they are very connected to what feels prayerful. They asked, they were here in April, they asked if they could see our prayer room. I'm like kind of embarrassed. Like, well, it's not set up. Nobody's actually prayed in there for a year I know of. I mean, maybe a few people have tossed something when they've, you know, but really it's kind of, kind of dead. He walked in and he just said, whoa. This is a place that's been filled with prayer. Maybe they're weird. Maybe they're in touch with, maybe someone who prays minimum 20 hours a day or a week and has for decades, maybe they're in touch with something. And maybe there is something that happens when we say there is a space that we're going to set apart to say we're going to pray here. And then people who hardly believe, this is, these are stories people tell me. They hardly have a relationship with God. They don't really come to church, but they walk in there and something happens. That happens if we pray. Will we pray? Will you pray? So that's one, prayer. Number two, right there with it. Are we doing anything to help meet, especially the needs of the poor, but help people who have needs? So one of the ways we could do that is just to give financially, materially. We can give directly to people we know we have need. You could give to the well ministry here in town that is helping people move towards stability. You could give. Can you give? Will you give? Have you given to, to direct needs? Now, sometimes we just give money. Just give money, feel better. But the Bible isn't about just giving money. That's helpful. That's a good thing to do. But it's also about how do we build relationships? How do we help uh, in ways that sustain? How do we help where there is sort of injustice or difficulty? Interesting, that if the, I think it's over 200 um, times in the Old Testament where it talks about the poor. And some of those are at length. You know, it's not just like one verse or something. It's at length. And what you'll find in there is they will talk about how people make bad choices and become poor. Warnings about that. Warnings about being lazy and not working and becoming poor. There, those things are in the Bible. Sometimes poverty, we bring poverty on ourselves. But what is found more, the warnings that are found more, the corrections that are found more, is, is to people who do nothing for the poor. 
So while the poor are in a situation where it is difficult to pull themselves out, where systems can work against them, and then people who are not poor do nothing about it. That is the bigger warning. Yes, we need, we need to work. If we're able to work, we should work. Yes, we shouldn't uh, waste our money or do things, you know, get caught up in addiction. But if, if that's happening among us and we don't do anything about it, God's like, I care about these people. They may not have the resources, the ability, the, the ways to get themselves out of this hole. They may not ha- know how to navigate systems. I care about these people. Will you do anything for the poor? And the well is a ministry. The well is a ministry where you get, they get to know these people. They get to take what is the step not just to help you through this day, maybe that's important, but what is the step that can help you move towards stability so you're in a different place six months from now. Now, is there any way that you could be involved in the well? You could give, you could donate stuff, that helps. You could volunteer. They have an Acts ministry, and my wondering is, as we come out of this pandemic more fully, will we be part of this Acts ministry where there are service projects that happen to meet needs that people become aware of? Our students, I think it was in March, they helped for two days at the well. And on day one, they did so much stuff, it was sort of like, "Uh uh-oh, the well people, what are we going to do with these students? And then day two, I may not have this story quite accurate, but there was somebody whose parents died, they're here They have to take care of this whole house. They're just overwhelmed, just kind of overwhelmed, shutting down, filled with anxiety of how are they going to deal with all of this stuff in one day. And they happened to to contact the well that day where we had a bunch of students, and the students took care of everything in a day, and at the end, this person was crying. So went from, like, despair to, like, this got taken care of because people made themselves available for one day. For one half a day. Is there anything we could do? The food, the food pantry we're doing from our church, is there anything you and I can do? To pray regularly? To meet the needs of the poor? There may be things that have nothing to do with the examples I just said. But what I want to say the important thing is, these things matter to the heart of God. Whether we pray and whether we do something to help those in need. They matter. And he's pleased when we do something. What keeps us from doing it? Typically, it's just idolatry. Honestly, typically, it's we give our attention to other things. We just give tons of time to other things. We have too many things we need to spend money on ourselves, so we have nothing left. We don't have time left. We don't have money left. So we have so much to do. So much. Now, here's what I'd like to say. The idea is not, the idea is not like, well, we got an account, and if I can give enough money to the poor, say enough Hail Marys, then my account goes good, and that will cover some of the bad things that I do. You know, that's not the, that's not the goal is to try to like, you know, okay, i got to be good enough and get enough of these good things in so I score enough points because I know i got some places I lose some points. That's not it at all. The reason that we do these things is because it aligns with God's heart. When we pray, we are getting aligned with God's heart. We are drawing near to God. We are asking for things, that, and God wants to partner with us to bring things to the earth. That's when we pray. We align with his heart. 
when we give to the poor, when we help people in need through our time, through, when we do that, then we, we are aligning with God because his heart is for those that are in need. His heart is to love and help those who have need. So both these things help us to align with God. And it can, if we think about how can we eliminate poverty, then we just shut down. I can't help everyone. There's nothing I can do. It's just too much. And so we do nothing. But the answer isn't to do nothing. The answer is to do one thing, something. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. What is it that you could do to help meet uh, those in need? So, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And here's how we're going to end our our service today. We're going to give a little time. They're going to just start playing at first, and then they're going to move into a worship song, which you can ignore. You can join in and worship and pray, or you can ignore. The, the reason there are note cards down, the reason there are pens down throughout here, is to see if there's something that comes to mind that you would say, you know what, I'm going to commit to this in this next season. Don't take on like, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to do this in these coming months or through the, this summer or this next few weeks, something. But what is, these are offerings to God. What is an offering of prayer that you'd be willing to commit to? What is an offering to help those in need, whether it's what you give or how you serve? Is there something for one of those or for both of those that the Lord's saying, you're the one? You're the one that I'm wanting to be part of prayer in this way. You're the one that I'm wanting to meet this need through. You're the one. Would you commit to it? We've got three bowls here as a way of sort of saying, like, this would be your offering to the Lord. We're not going to go through and read them. You don't need to sign them. This is between you and, you and God. But it's a way to not just say, like, oh, yeah, I should, I should probably do something like that and then just walk out and not, not change. There's something to saying, like, no, God, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to offer it to you. Help me to actually fulfill it. That might get us closer to actually doing it. So I'm going to pray. Grab a note card or pen nearby. At some point, we're going to do a song and a half to end. So, and maybe it will end, and you still won't have, but you can write something down and bring it. If you're watching now or, or later, I mean, write. it's still okay to write something down. To say this is beyond just a nice thought of maybe I should do something. This is something I'm committing to as an offering to the Lord. For prayer, for meeting the needs of others, for both. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you want to be with us. That you're always ready to respond to us, to give us your attention. And that we can give you our attention and know that it's never a waste. Even if it looks like a waste to other people, it's never a waste to focus on you in prayer or worship through your word, talking and listening to you. And also, it's never a waste to be giving to those in need. To be offering ourselves to meet people's needs. So is there anything that you want us to commit to this morning in those areas? Would you bring it to mind and then would you help us fulfill it? Maybe it's just something we have been doing already even. 
and you just want to say, keep going. We give you the space now. We especially ask you just to guide our minds. Guide what we think about so that we could align with you. We could get on the same page with you in Jesus' name.